Pet Resource Radio is brought to you by our friends at La Mega KC, Kansas City's Spanish radio station, and of course by our friends at One Kansas City Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC area or listen online at onekcradio.org. We're talking with one of our vet techs, Ian McIntosh, about his first year with a very special dog, this week on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Sierra Howe. And I'm Dave Shapiro. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the program. We are coming to you from deep in the bowels of the earth. Uh, just kidding. We're in the same place we always are. Our building here at 59th and Troost in KC Mo. We've got an interview with our own Ian McIntosh about our mutual doggy friend, Bart, who Scott and I actually mentioned way back in episode 25 because we were fundraising for him. He came through his situation with flying colors, and we're going to learn how he's been since then. Hint, it's good. But first, a little pet news. Looks like dogs aren't the only ones who can play fetch. It wasn't shortly after Kay McCall and her husband moved into their new house in Brisbane, Australia, when they met Kylo, a three-year-old orange tabby who kept showing up in the couple's backyard. They gave him a few pets under the chin, but the next thing they knew, he started bringing them presents, everything from dog toys to socks to gloves, and leaving them in the couple's backyard. This went on for months, so Kay decided to post in a community Facebook group. It turns out everyone was either familiar with the Pirate Kitty's exploits or could identify one of the items that he'd stolen. When Kylo's family could no longer keep up with him, he found a new home with Ingrid, a resident of the neighborhood. Kylo is now an indoor-only kitty, but don't worry. His mom says he has a whole box of toys, not stolen, to play with. Pretty cute. Yes, and I picked this story because it reminds me of my childhood cat. His name was Scooter, and he actually played fetch with the bathtub plug. Aww. Out of all things, I know, you would. he would bring it to you when uh-huh. he wanted to play. You would throw the plug in the bathtub, and he was chunky, so it was always funny like watching him jump over the, t- the uh-huh. side of the tub and then plop and gra- grab the plug and come back, so... <laughs> But I also wonder, like, if it has anything to do with spaying and neutering, because I had a dog at one point who was unspayed, who was obsessed with her toys and would, like, carry them around when she was in heat and things like that. So, I don't know. Could be. Could be, but I'm not a vet. I'm not a vet either. (laughs) No. Uh, Next up, a little bit of bad news. There is no harm in taking your dog for a walk in a nature reserve. We all know that. Obviously, there are a lot of dogs that love to go exploring. But a new study looking at the amount of nutrients dog urine and feces contribute to the environment seems to indicate that it could actually be negatively impacting biodiversity and ecosystem functioning. Looking at reserves in the Belgian city of Ghent, they estimated that dog urine and feces at an average of 11 kilograms of nitrogen and 5 kilograms of phosphorus per hectare of land, whereas the average amount of nitrogen being added across Europe through fossil fuel emissions and agriculture ranges from 5 to 25 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. While additional nutrients sounds like it would be a good thing, according to the lead researcher, Pieter Dufresne, 
Uh, nature reserves actually try to lower soil nutrient levels to enhance plant and animal biodiversity. The additional phosphorus and nitrogen could actually be delaying those kinds of restoration goals. They modeled a few different scenarios to kind of see, you know, what was going on. When all dogs were walked on leash, which they're supposed to be, the concentration of nitrogen and phosphorus actually exceeded the legal limits allowed during fertilization of agricultural land. When they modeled a scenario where owners picked up their dog's feces, nitrogen levels dropped by 56% and phosphorus by 97%. That's huge. That is a huge decrease just from people, you know, picking up their poop. Yeah, and, you know, you hear all the time about how manure helps with gardening and fertilization. You you would think dog poop would be the same. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I, I imagine it's like for cultivating certain types of crops, it's probably fine. But when you're trying to create a kind of biodiverse yeah, area with lots that's, of room, that's then true. you're probably crowding things out. I wonder how cats affect the Yeah, because they're just out there. Thing. They're just hanging yeah, out. Yeah, and cat pee is strong. It is real strong. <laughs> it is uh, very so, strong. Interesting, though. You always find the cool stuff. Thanks. <laughs> uh, hey, why don't we go talk to Ian? All righty. The day Bart came into our lives was frightfully eventful for all of us at Pet Resource Center, and if I'm being honest, we were all nervous that the hours-old puppy with a double-cleft palate might not make it. But here we are, almost a year later, and our little buddy is living his best life thanks to his dad who never gave up on him. Ian, welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Hi. So we have you on the show today to talk about someone very special in your life. His name is Bart, and we all love him to pieces here at Pet Resource Center. Walk us through the day Bart came into your life. It was really weird. Everything happened so quickly. Um, We had a dog come in for an emergency C-section. She had been in labor for 36 hours and wasn't giving birth. Wow. Um, Turns out one of the puppies was stuck in the canal. Unfortunately, the first three didn't make it. But the second three did, and that's where Bart came in. I remember um, Michelle bringing him um, from the operating room out to my desk and, you know, just said, look, he's got a double cleft lip. And without even thinking, I was, I just said, is he up for adoption? Um, yeah, that was fast. Yeah. <laughs> Jumped right to it. Next thing I know, a few hours later, um, one of the techs is coming to my desk with supplies to show me how to tube feed. So, I mean, it was it was literally a 30 second decision. Wow. And so did you know how much work was going to be cut out for you when you took him home? Obviously, there were some odds against him in regards to his health. So what were some of those challenges and how did you learn to overcome them? Um, I when I when I took him home, I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I think it did end up being a little bit more than what I expected. Um, it was definitely like having a newborn. I was waking up in the middle of the night to feed him. I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it, like I would pack up um, like a playpen in his bed and I had heating pads, you know, just arms full of stuff that I would take with me for this puppy who was under a pound. Um, it was it was kind of wild how, how much um, ended up going into caring for him. And to overcome those challenges, I just... I mean, I really couldn't have done it without everyone here um, and all the support that I received here. But it, it, you know, it did become a a team effort raising him. I definitely couldn't have done that on my own. 
Yeah, I remember walking through the conference room, and there you were. Like, every time I walked through there, making the formula for Bart, because he had to be tube-fed because yeah. of his double-cleft palate. So what was your experience like with that? Had you ever done it before? I'd never tube-fed before. Um, I had bottle-fed puppies, not consistently, but, like, to help out with someone who had puppies. Um, but as far as the tube-feeding, that was brand new. Uh, it was definitely scary when I started doing it. You know, you have to worry about, is this going down the correct area? Um, but I, I think after, you know, the first two, three times doing it, it just kind of became routine and didn't get difficult until he was older and was trying to eat that tube. <laughs> it sounds like, again, a baby. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, but because um, he used to work the front desk. And so you'd be up there talking on the phone and tube feeding him at the same time. And I'm just like, Wow. Yeah. Like it's cute from my perspective, but I can't imagine how tiring it was for you, even though it was rewarding. Like that's around the clock care. So at what point you started fostering him, but did you know that you immediately wanted to make him a part of your pack? I think somewhere inside me I did. Um, I avoided saying it out loud and I avoided leaning into that idea because Dr. Andelson came to me the day that I got him and said, you know, I don't want to discourage you, but anything that I've had to tube feed hasn't made it. And I, you know, reassured her that I was just going to take it one day at a time. Um, my my goal was to keep him alive for the next 24 hours. And if I did that, then it would be 24 more. Um, yeah. But I think I finally admitted it when he was about three or four days old. Um, I told people that with all of the work that was going to go into him and everything that I had to do to get him healthy, there was just no way that I wasn't going to get attached and no way that I could give him up. Yeah. And so can you talk to me about the procedures that Bart needed, um, how you front fundraise for them because they were pretty expensive and what the results of those procedures were? So he had um, two procedures on his face and mouth already. Um, he's about to have a third. He, The first two that he had were to fix the cleft in, inside of his mouth and the front of his face. The cleft initially ran all the way to the back, um, so all the way back at his throat. And unfortunately, those sutures didn't hold the first time around. Mm -hmm. um, and you knew that going into it, right? Yeah, there was, there was, there was a high chance of that. Um, it held in the back, so the back got all healed up, but his face completely came apart, and the front of his mouth um, also has a hole. So Dr. DeLuke, who did the surgery, came back for a repair for the second time and told me that fixing the um, cleft at the front of his mouth wasn't as important. There was the chance that still could come apart, and it would just put extra strain on his body. Since he was eating solid food at the time, it was okay to leave that open. So she just fixed the front of his face, and that held beautifully. Um, and it looks like the next one that we're looking at is a dental procedure because he has a weird extra tooth growing across that cleft now. What? Yeah. I think you did tell me that, actually. How long has it been there? Um, since his adult teeth started coming okay. in. Yeah, I think I did know that. And just in case... Those who are listening don't know what issues is he potentially facing if that weren't to be repaired. Like, if the cleft wasn't repaired, yeah, he there he wouldn't have been able to eat dry food like he does now. Um, he was on dry food at the time, however, it was only very little bits because there was the concern that it could get stuck in his nose, um, and he would be 
prone to infections. He still is, but not as bad. Um, there would also be more issues with breathing. Um, it would be even easier for him to get things into his lungs, um, like fluid, so we could look at, um, you know, possible upper respiratory infections happening a lot more often. And then, you know, just pretty much overall, just things kind of getting stuck in there and causing a whole bunch of problems, um, you know, like getting, uh, he, he once swallowed like a piece of his feeding tube and regurgitated it and it came and got stuck there. So I had to pull that out. Um, so just, yeah, I'd, I would rather not reach in his mouth that much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> um, but that had to be scary, no? Like, what did you feel going it, into the procedures? Because you knew that there was also a possibility that he may not make it out of those, right? Yeah, that was the complications from the anesthesia were very scary. I knew that he was going to be under the anesthesia for a few hours. Um, and the longer that, that you're you're under that, the harder it is to come out of it. Um, his initial surgery took, I believe, an hour and a half to two hours and, you know, there was a tech coming out and updating me every, every yeah. single step, you know, they'd come out and, Hey, we've got him, we've got him bumped, you know, five minutes later, he's prepped and heading into surgery. Um, and oh, I, just I remember love that though. It was, it was so nice. And I remember having just the biggest sigh of relief when that tech came out and said, so he's out of surgery. And as soon as we put him on the warmer, um, he woke up and kicked <gasps> his tube out. So he's doing great. Good. Uh, that was awesome to hear that right out of the gate he was already awake and, and were you surprised? I wasn't. He's, <laughs> Me either. <laughs> he's a little ball of energy. He still is, um, and I, I just think it's funny that not even anesthesia could stop him. <laughs> and so, what about his growth? Because you look at him and you don't see an average pit bull. He almost looks like a mini pit bull. I'm sure you get questions yes. about that. Why do you? Why is that? His growth was stunted when he was young because of how long he had to be on that formula. Um, gotcha. So it was he wasn't getting the proper nutrients that a puppy at that age should be getting from puppy food. We did try um, turning his dry food into like a gruel to tube feed him that. Um, but he still, because he was on formula until he was almost three months old, um, that really did hurt his weight. He's at about 35 pounds now. Um, yeah, he looks great. He does. He's, I love seeing him every day he comes here. <laughs> I think most of the weight that he has is in his head. Um, <laughs> but I believe That's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were looking at him getting about 50 to 60 pounds because that's what his parents were at. Um, but I think, you know, with him being almost a year old now, I think that 35 is about where he's going to stay. He might yeah. get wider, but he's also definitely not getting taller. <laughs> And so let's wrap things up. Let's do a 180 and talk about all of the positives. So tell us what Bart is like now and what has he taught you? Now he, I mean, he's a, a regular puppy. He runs around outside. He plays with his brother. Um, he really likes to nap and cuddle. He loves laying in the sun. Um, and I mean, honestly, he's taught me to just keep going, to keep fighting. I mean, we didn't think that he'd make it to a week old and here we are. A yeah, year later. A year later. And he's a regular dog. Um, he looks like a regular dog with with that repair and everything. Um, so definitely, you know, just keep fighting. Don't give up hope. There there was that scary bit when Dr. Reynoldson said that, you know, she hasn't um, seen a puppy like that recover. Um, uh, 
I mean, he's not even my pet, but still, that just makes my heart get tight and hurt. Yeah. There was there was a lot of anxiety going into it, um, but I'm I'm glad that all the hard work that I, not only I put in, but everyone here who helped out, um, I'm glad that it's all paying off now. And then I almost forgot. How could I forget such a big part of this interview? Bart's clothing line. <laughs> yes. What I have personally have a shirt, and if you're listening, you can reach out to Ian and. Are you well? Okay, let's talk about the clothing line. Clothing line first, and then we'll talk about whether or not people can reach out to you to possibly get a shirt. Yeah, um, the clothing line was started by my friend Emily. She and her husband wanted to start their own T-shirt company. Her husband's a graphic designer, and they decided for their first project they wanted to do um, fundraiser T-shirts for Bart. So fifty percent of all t-shirt sales went towards um went towards his surgeries i think we raised um about 300 dollars that way three four hundred something like that and you ran they ran out quickly they did they were very popular um i'm not sure if those designs have been retired yet i don't think they have been um but they were made by odd dogs design um you can actually find them on instagram at odd dogs design um and they can uh they can definitely help out for anyone who's interested in those t-shirts. And then lastly, what would you say to someone who has a pet or is thinking about adopting a pet who has special needs? I would say definitely do your research first. Make sure that you understand how much work is going to um, be put into that pet. Because um, like I said, it is it is like having a baby. Um, yeah. In this case, it was. But if, if you think that you have what it takes to to raise a special needs pet like that, absolutely go for it. It is extremely fulfilling, and it's just so wonderful to watch all of that work pay off. Awesome. Well, Ian, I'll let you go. I know you've got things to get back to, but we will be celebrating Bart's birthday on March 4th, so that's the big one year. And yes, again, just thank you. Thank you. This episode drops the day before World Spay Day, which is on February 22nd. This is an annual day created by Doris Day and the Doris Day Animal League in 1995 to promote spays and neuters across the country to help the problem of homeless pets. It's since spread worldwide and has become a day of action for those of us who work in the animal welfare industry. Now, chances are if you've got your dog or cat from a shelter or rescue, they're already fixed before you got them. But if your pet isn't fixed or you know someone who might need a little convincing to take the plunge, here's a few words about the benefits of getting your pet fixed. The first and most obvious benefit is to the community. More pets getting fixed means fewer pets that need homes, meaning fewer pets in shelters and on the streets waiting for those homes. This in turn allows for a better concentration of the resources of organizations like us that work to help pets. A fixed pet also no longer feels the need to roam to look for a mate. That means it lessens their chance of being involved in traumatic accidents, and they're also much less likely to contract contagious diseases and get into fewer fights. In males, neutering decreases the chances of prostatic disease and hernias and eliminates the chances of developing testicular cancer because there's no testicles. It also reduces problems with territorial and sexual aggression, inappropriate urination like spraying and other undesirable male behaviors. 
in females, spaying decreases the incidence of breast cancer. The rate actually goes down to almost zero if the spay is done before their first heat cycle. It eliminates their chance of developing a serious and potentially fatal infection of the uterus called pyometra, which is experienced by many mature unspayed animals. A spay surgery also eliminates the heat cycle, associated mood swings and undesirable behaviors, messy spotting in dogs, and the attraction of all available males to your yard. All in all, getting your pet fixed makes them better friends to you, to the community, and it gives them their best chance at a long, happy life with you. And after all, isn't that what we want? And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to our friend Ian McIntosh for being on the show today. As for us, we're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services, and you can help. Just head to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, rate us and review us because you love us and we love you, of course. For all the latest info, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the English author George Eliot said, animals are such agreeable friends. They ask no questions. They pass no criticisms. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, written, hosted, and produced by Sierra Howe and Dave Shapiro, recorded, edited, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Musical Industries. Hazel Raw Musical Industries.